and welcome to Queers Did That, a queer history podcast. I'm Amanda. I'm Katie. Hi, Katie. How are you doing today? Oh, that's weird. That you like, I never noticed that you call me Katie. Like, in what do you? Do you always say hi, Katie? I think so. It's weird because you don't call me that in real life. Well, you don't usually call me Amanda in real life either, so it's okay. I know because you won't let me call you your name on this podcast. Yes, because I have standards oh, that's not the right word it's not like i call you pookie bear it's a nickname for your actual name yeah but i don't want other people calling me that nickname because they're not allowed to <laughs> and you just using it encourages more people to use it case in point your entire family what about your your nephew and your upcoming niece like i said your entire family whatever so that kid's how- gonna have a revelation in 20 years that I've always hated that name. He's going to be... Mine's going to be blown. Probably. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's okay. Except I'm not. I know you're not. Thank you. So, how are you? <laughs> you never <laughs> answered my question. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You know? It's it's hot. It is hot. Yeah. Philadelphia. In the summertime. What? Mm-hmm. And also... The, the pollen's terrible today. Yes. I mean, not for me, but for you. Yeah, so it's a really great day to be recording because I probably sound terrible. No, I actually think you sound pretty normal. Oh, that's good. Maybe my ears are stuffed then because I don't like how I sound today. Oh, but you don't know how you sound. I don't like how I think I sound. Well, that sounds like a you problem. It is a me problem. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't. So, we are recording this on June 27th, which means that tomorrow is June 28th, (gasps) which is... The anniversary of Stonewall. Yes. (laughs) And also the day we're buying a house. But for this episode, (laughs) we're talking about Stonewall. Yes. And specifically, one of the women who basically has been accredited with... Starting the first night of the riot. Do you know who I'm talking about? Is it one of the heavy hitters we've already covered? No. Oh, well, then I probably I might not. So you have not heard of Stormy de la Vie? Stormy de la Vie. Yes. I have not. No. Okay. Well, she was. She's been accredited with throwing the first punch, one of the first punches <laughs> at Stonewall. Nice. And basically, there's a quote from her basically being like, like literally, she got hit on the head with like a bully, like Billy Club, after like trying to not get arrested, and like just yelled, "Why don't you all do something?" And that's when, but yeah, well, yeah. that's when, that's when y'all, that's when it all went down, at least the first night, yeah, yeah. So that that's been a credit to her, and it's interesting. Because, you know, we look at these people like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera and Stormy as well. And especially with her, she really kind of wasn't, she didn't see herself as like a revolutionary. That's one of the reasons, many reasons why we don't usually hear about her. And like her story isn't necessarily mentioned with the rest of Stonewall, if Stonewall is even being talked about. Because... You know, she she was activist in her own right, but at the same time, she was kind of doing. She saw 
she didn't see what she did as being special. Mm-hmm. It was what she needed to do and kind of just like a reactionary thing and like what she did like throughout her life. She didn't see it as this, you know, thing to be, you know, put on a pedestal or like this person that we should be learning about. She was just trying to live her life. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. So I think, I mean, like that's definitely an interesting thing, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't still talk about her. Right. So, DeLavier was born in 1920 in New Orleans mm. to a white father and black mother. She was never issued a birth certificate oh. because interracial marriage was against the law at that time. But she celebrated her birthday on December 24th. <laughs> she was often you know, bullied as a child, attacked um, you know, for being biracial. One incident left her in a leg brace, and another resulted in a scar from being left hanging on the fence. Mm. Like it, it obviously got very serious, so her father sent her to a private school away from New Orleans for her safety. She also spent some time as a teenager in Ringling Brothers Circus. Oh, yeah. Okay. And she r- rode horses and uh, while well, jumping horses, uh, side saddle. So, yeah, it was a very interesting childhood. Okay. She realized that she was gay when she was 18 and then moved to Chicago. She knew that saying in the South for her was very dangerous. So she kind of was like, I'm, I'm going to head to Chicago. In the 1940s, she sang as Stormy Dale and dressed as a woman. But in 1946, she was in Miami visiting the venue Danny's Jewel Box, which the Jewel Box Review would later spring, and they needed help with the show. People said she couldn't do drag for the show because it would ruin her reputation, but she did not give a shit. Mm-hmm. She was like, I'm, I'm just going to do it. So her plan was to be in the show for six months. She ended up being there 14 years. Oh, my. Okay. And, you know, she said, quote, it was very easy. All it had to do was just be me and let people use their imaginations. It never changed me. I was still a woman. From 1955 to 1969, she toured with the theater circuit as the MC, and she was the only drag king in the Jewel Box Review. And this was the first, North America's first racially integrated drag review as well. They regularly played in the Apollo Theater in Harlem, as well as mixed-race audiences, which was still a very rare thing uh, during, you know, segregation in the United States. Yes. So they, they were doing that while segregation was going, going strong there. She kind of... One of the parts of the show was that at the end of it, the audience had to guess who the one, the quote, one girl was <laughs> in the show. Uh-huh. And she would reveal herself as a woman during a musical number called A Surprise with a Song, where she wore tailor suits and sometimes a mustache. They made her unidentifiable to audience members. She said she drew inspiration from Diana Washington and Billie Holiday and... 
you know, basically she was one of the most prominent drag figures at the time and definitely one of, if not only, the only drag king going on. She often kind of, she's joked around in interviews saying that her, that her wearing a bunch of menswear around New York City basically inspired other butch lesbians to do the same. Mm. She was like, yeah, I just started doing it. And then I saw a bunch of other lesbians started to do it in New York. So, you know, it, it was just one of those another ways that Bush women were able to subvert patriarchy. And she had a partner who was a dancer named Diana. And they lived together for 25 years until Diana died in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And apparently the story carried of a photograph of Diana with her at all times. Oh. Yeah. So, like I said, on 1.20 a.m. on June 28th in 1969, uh, Stormy was hit on the head with a billy club and handcuffed and was bleeding from her head, and she turned to the crowd and hollered, why don't you do something? So that basically, you know, started it, and in an interview... She was asked about, have you heard about this, you know, this woman who saw that and basically, yeah, like, it was me. Mm-hmm. And, like, why didn't you ever come forward? She's like, because it wasn't anyone's business. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, another reason why sometimes, a lot of times she's left off of um, Stonewall history. But even after that, she was a huge part of the community she served as a volunteer street patrol worker and she patrolled lesbian bars to keep what she called her baby girls safe. <laughs> she did this all the way until she was 85 years old oh in the early God. 2000s. She did that for <laughs> decades. She would walk the streets making sure that the lesbian bars in New York were safe. And that's just... <laughs> that's awesome really really awesome and in addition to her work in the lgbt community she also performed benefits for battered women and children and you know people asked her why she does that and she said quote someone has to care people say why do you still do that i said it's very simple if people didn't care about me when i was growing up with my mother being black raised in the south i said i wouldn't be here and she died in her sleep on May 24th, 2014 in Brooklyn. Wow, she had a long life. Yeah, so she worked as essentially a, a bodyguard, lesbian bodyguard um, for up until she was 85. <laughs> and I really wish that I could have seen that <laughs> because... That sounds amazing. I would wish I saw this like eighty-year-old black butch woman just <laughs> taking care of business. Like I'm imagining like a cane. She's like walking with a cane, but probably not. She probably she was probably more in shape than I am right now. Yeah, I mean probably. <laughs> <laughs> um. So it, her obituary, which I think is a pretty <laughs> boss obituary from the New York Times. It says, tall, androgynous, and armed. She held a state gun permit. Miss 
De La Vie roamed lower 7th and 8th avenues and points between inner 80s, patrolling the sidewalks and checking in at lesbian bars. She was on the lookout for what she called ugliness, any form of intolerance, bullying, or abuse of her baby girls. She literally walked the streets of downtown Manhattan like a gay superhero. She was not to be messed with by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> That's, like, possibly the best. I don't know. I, I, I hope my obituary sounds, like, half as cool as that. I don't know. You yeah. Know? And there's not... There's not a lot about her. I still think... You know, some people have referred to her as the gay Rosa Parks, essentially. And whether or not she was the first person who threw the punch, just kind of like we, t- we talked about with Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia right. Rivera. It's, there was multiple butch lesbians that night who fought back against police during the uprising and probably who helped start the first night of the uprising. And there's a quote from her that... She said that riot was a general like misconception, the use of the word, and she said it was a rebellion, it was an uprising, it was civil, it was a civil dis- disobedience, it wasn't no damn riot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting too, because basically we're t- you talk about how certain re- rebellion against the state or any organization, how it's classified, and basically kind of for lack of a better phrase, I think, like, watered down. Yeah, I mean, riot, I feel like, kind of implies, like, oh, a bunch of angry people. But then, like, rebellion, it's more of, like, they're fighting back against, you know, harm. Right, and, yeah, riot implies a bunch of, almost a bunch of crazy queens versus, (laughs) you know, versus, you know, a rebellion against oppression and police violence and prejudice and all, you know, as a biracial butch lesbian, I cannot even be in (laughs) the 60s. I can't even begin to imagine Mm -hmm. experiencing. And I mean, I think we should call the Stonewall riots Stonewall riots because that's what it's called. But at the same time, it does it does feel a little when you actually like look through it and you you talk about the people and, and the reasoning behind it and the activism that occurred before and after it feels it feels kind of cheap mm-hmm. to call it a riot because there was just like with Rosa Parks there was lots of activism there was lots of organized protests there was a lot of thought and movement behind actions done and it gets watered down to oh she was tired so she she sat in the front that's, right that's not it's what not, happened yeah. it was a calculated move in the civil rights movement and yes obviously this was more an emotional setting at stonewall but you had compton's cafeteria you had you know dewey's in philadelphia you had all these other instances where people were starting to get together and people were starting to organize as queer people. And 
so there was it was more to it than and having it also the double edged sort of this is the beginning of the gay rights movement. Right. This is when gay rights started. It was like, no, was Stonewall but... because obviously that's not the case because it couldn't that could not have occurred in a vacuum, especially looking harder into like that time period and the people involved. Again, it's like these people were kicked literally and figuratively constantly down to the ground over and over and over again you know trans women of color black butch lesbians and they were like no and i think that's a lot more of a powerful story yeah than you know oh who threw the brick it's like well why was the brick thrown i think that's and i think that's one of the things too with our, our history not being taught I mean, critical thinking skills aren't taught in American schools well to begin with, but then you have history that isn't taught, and I think having a more critical eye and like kind of thinking through the stuff without it being in a necessarily educational setting and like three free like learning experience mm-hmm. without it being like guided almost. I think you kind of, we lose that critical eye and the kind of like this analysis of this time period. And we're just like, we have a little blurb about gay history and Stonewall's the beginning of gay rights, Stonewall's the beginning of gay rights. I'll think about it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that way, you know, that's when we don't learn about, you know, Sylvia, Marsha, and Stormy because they just get pushed to the sideline because it, it doesn't matter who did it but obviously it it does because those are the stories that shaped that time period it's the story that shaped you know their history and then our history directly after right yeah that's i guess that's my soapbox for this episode (laughs) too many soapboxes no (laughs) and i just like you just this woman was in handcuffs who was getting like beat with a club getting roughly pushed to a police car and she you know was still able to like while she was getting like you know getting manhandled was still like getting swings in before she was handcuffed (laughs) and managed to start a riot a rebellion against you know the police force and against all the prejudice and the discrimination. And I think that's an important story to tell because it was nobody's business. She just did what she felt like she had to do. Right. It wasn't anything. I think with activism, it takes both. It takes those calculated moves. It takes the organization. It takes those movements. And sometimes it takes a pissed off butch lesbian <laughs> to be like fucking do something why are y'all just standing here watching me get my ass kicked by this asshole right <laughs> and I, th- I think that's really interesting and i think it's for lack of a better phrase fun to learn about because i think it's empowering i think when you learn history in this like macro this is what happened it was only organizational or whatever then you don't feel empowered to do anything, but at the same time, if you're like, it was only like these people who were tired and sat down and decided not to, f- you know, who decided they wanted to fight cops. It's like, well, that also like this values all the hard work and that goes into activism as well. Yeah. I'm hoping at some point, 
maybe we'll eventually get that eventually get there in our understanding of our history but i mean hopefully we're trying to do our part yeah we are trying to do our part because we're rad 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 oh no i mean sure we can be rad you you dig you dig (laughs) (laughs) i'm a dork so (laughs) so i think that's pretty much you know it she was i mean she was a member of storm was a member of the stonewall veterans association she held office like chief of security of course obviously ambassador and in 1998 to 2000 she was vice president and obviously was very regular at gay pride parades <laughs> and you know was a gay superhero protecting Oops. protecting the baby girls the New York lesbians. What a cool lady. I know. I think that, that's just fun. Like, you know, it's like fun to learn about these cool people who who did this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I'm glad you enjoyed this. Yeah, thanks for telling me about her. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we celebrate so long, it's important to remember how, you know, the levity of it and the turning point that it created but it was created because the people involved made it the turning point. It didn't match that they happened. Right. So, yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's that's our episode. Mm-hmm. If you have any comments or questions, you can tweet us at queersdidthat or email us at queersdidthat at gmail.com. You can also send messages to us via anchor but you have to have a anchor login we would love to hear your sweet words and your kind voices you can also use our website too to send send a message yes too and we yes our website which i always forget to mention Mm -hmm. that that katie worked very hard on Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. queersdidthat.com it's Mm -hmm. very easy and if you like what you're hearing from us too we also you know also like financial support too there's ways of doing that on anchor as well it helps us create the content all that good stuff (laughs) (laughs) and until next time make gay history and make history gay bye bye I'm a strong lady.